we're going to um, go into the Word and then go into worship. It's going to be all flowing together. and um, So maybe for a moment we can take our seats. And, um, and, um, and I'm not as skilled uh, in, in, in probably teaching as Tony. I, I like the guys. I can see you, it will help me. Um, I said to Tony, I have two, I prepared two ways. And um, because I wasn't sure where we're going, but I wanted to mention something to you. I wanted to go into the seven Hebrew words of praise. Um, and I, and, and, but, but I feel like the other thing I prepared is something I've been sharing over the course of a couple of uh, months. Something that's really in my heart. And I feel like maybe that's where we we should go the, this afternoon, but but I wanted I wanted to touch on two words, on two words. You know, so every time when you read Psalms or anywhere in the Old Testament, you read the word praise. Most likely, it means something different than what you think it means. So there's seven Hebrew words for the word praise that you would encounter in the Old Testament if you go through it, and each one has a specific meaning. You might read praise in one of the Psalms, and it could be the word Shabbat, which means to shout. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Shabbat. Shout to the Lord. It's the same word with Israel did when they, when they journeyed around Jericho. They shouted. It wasn't a loud shout. Ah, they were boasting in God with their voices raised. You know? And these are, some of these seven words are actually commands. You know, I hear a lot of people, in my life I've heard a lot of people, we laughed in the car a little bit about it, you know. You know how many times I've encountered people that say, I worship inside. I, I worship on the inside. The outside I'm standing still, but on the inside I'm worshiping. And I always say to these people, I'm so glad you are worshiping on the inside. But if you read the Bible, it's very clear that we are called to give an expression of the passion and the love that's in us. And so one of the, actually the, the most common word for the word praise in the Old Testament or in the Bible is the word halal. And it's not, there's anything to do with the food. Halal is the, is the root word for the word hallelujah. Right? And the connotation of this word halal, hallelujah, listen to other, it's amazing. The connotation is of boasting to the point of looking foolish. The point of this word praise is that you boast in someone to such a degree that you look foolish to someone looking from the outside in. You know when David danced in front of the ark when they brought it back to Zion to set it in the tent? He looked foolish to the people. There was such a, 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 a a boasting in the Lord, such an adoration, such a physical expression of the passion that was in his heart that it looked foolish to the people around him. This word means literally to be clear. In other words, to make clear whom we are boasting about. Your name is worthy. To praise, to shine, to boast, to show, to rave. One part of it means to act like a madman. So the most common word 
used in the Bible to describe what our praise should be like gives us a picture of one who looks foolish in the way he's expressing his love and his passion to God. It's a visible expression of praise. The word I love. To shine, it means that your, your life is a spotlight on the beauty of God. Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. That's the word halal. Right? So, halal is when praise is seen. I can see you praising me. Another word for praise is the word tehillah. And tehillah has got to do with singing to the Lord. It's most, it's most deep uh, meaning. It's actually a new song, a spontaneous song. And it's, it's, it will be used in many of the Psalms when God has done something incredible in your life. David says, respond with tehillah, a new song. But it means to lift your voice and sing loudly with passion. So you get these two extremes. Halal is, I need to see you praising God. Tehillah, I want to hear you praising God. That's not my idea. That is what the Bible teaches us to do. And I'm not going to go to Tehillah and give you the verses. But the second one I'll, uh, I wanted to, to share on is the word Toda. And, and it, it actually comes from the word Yada. Yada means to extend the hand. To extend the hand. David uses this in so many songs. Let me give you some example. Psalm 50, verse 14. Offer unto God praise. Offer unto God praise. That is the word toda. Offer unto God hands lifted in adoration. That's the word that David uses there. So yada is the extension of the hand, but toda means something different. Toda means you lift your hands in adoration, declaring, proclaiming, and believing for the things that God is still yet to do in your life because He's a promise keeper over His word. Isn't that an amazing word? So being expressive in our praise and in our worship and lifting our hands is not what charismatic people do. It's what Jesus-loving people do Lifting your hands is not what happens if you join the Pentecostal move. This is an expression that comes ages, thousands of years. Lifting hands in adoration, declaring and giving thanks for the works and the things yet to come. The things He's yet to do in your life. The breakthrough that's still to come. Isn't that amazing? David is not in that, even that psalm, David is not saying, Sing and lift your hands. He's just saying, let this be your act of worship. Hands lifted to the Lord in adoration. And I'm going to tell you now, this is the how. I'm going to tell you the why and the who just now. 
So I wanted to touch on those two words. There's seven. Halal. To boast to such an extent that you look foolish. To boast in such a way that you look foolish. This is what David is teaching us. This is how you need to worship him who is able. Him who is worthy. You know, always, when you do like training for worship guys, I always say to them, you know, like if you watch sports, soccer or rugby or any of these weird, that attracts big crowds, right? Have you, have you ever noticed that, they, that they've got these, these uh, fan clinics that you can go to? And then at the fan clinic, they teach you what to do when your team runs on the field. Or when they do a goal or they kick a goal or they do a try. So when your team kicks a goal, this is now the appropriate response. Have you ever heard of such a thing? No. Because it's not needed. Why? Because when there's passion, there's an expression. Why then in the house of God are we so timid with it? When we should be the ones looking the most foolish. Because the one in whom we are supposed to boast in. Oh my goodness. So I want to encourage this house. Sunningdale, okay, City Bowl PM. I want to encourage this house. To alone. To throw down. To take him out. To be the loudest and the wildest house of praise in just James. That even when the just genus come in, they would say, these foolish people. Mad men and mad women. And how religion wants to kill the spirit of praise, doesn't it? It always, right through the ages, religion just want to kill the spirit of, it has all kinds of excuses for you not to be wise. Before the king. And even when we go into worship a little bit late, and you'll understand now why I just went to those. But even when we go into praise a little bit later, I want you to get rid of all that. So that's the how. And the how is not the most important. So let me land there and I'll go to what I want to say now. So the how is not more important than the who and the why. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. And hopefully when you see the who and the why, the how just comes naturally. You know John, when he, when he saw Jesus in the book of Revelation, he fell face down towards him. John didn't learn that in worship school. When you see him, your heart kind of knows what to do. And I, I wanted to speak to you out of, um, this morning we had a, we had a service in, in the, one of our friends, Delia was leading worship this morning and the Lord started speaking to me about a couple of things and I'll flow it in and I won't be long 
We're going to go into some worship. And, um, but this morning it hit me. We were standing in worship and we had some beautiful songs we were singing. And I caught myself. And I've been, I've been a worship leader for more than 26 years. I mean, this is what I kind of do with my life. And, but even after all these years this morning, I stood there and I caught myself thinking how I am feeling while we are worshiping the King. Instead of my heart's posture being, what are you feeling? I caught myself thinking, am I being moved in this moment? Or am I moving him in this moment? And it just, our hearts drift so quickly. What am I getting out of this? Is the worship good or is the worship, is it break? Is it like, I do know? All these questions. And in the midst of all that I am processing, there's a lamb on the throne waiting for love to be poured at his feet. Whether I know the song or not, whether it's your style or not. And I had to posture my heart and realign myself. I said, I don't care what I get out of this. This is not about me. Worship is not about you. It's not about how you feel when you leave the building. It's about how he feels when you leave the building. And that's where your joy is. Your joy is not that you had a touch. Your joy is that you moved Him. But because you moved Him, you are moved. How many of you have ever left after emptying your heart over His feet? Left empty. None of you. Because somehow when you give, He gives And here's the beauty of it. You don't have to give for him to give. He's just kind that way. But your heart was made to love this way. And every moment counts in his presence. Not a single moment for him is wasted. How wild, how loud, how small, how long, how short. He takes it all. And this morning I was standing there and I said, Jesus, help me to not waste the gift of your presence that's given now. It's a gift. Tonight he's giving us a gift. What do we do when he gives us the gift of himself? How do you respond to such a humble God? Paul says, by the word of his power, he holds all things together. In other words, if this God stops speaking, you die. And then that God gives himself so humbly to broken people. What do we, how do we respond? such a king. And I love what Peter shared in the, in the future teaching. I was looking at that verse and it was like, he gave himself. The humility of God. 
withholding nothing. And then his friends, his beloveds, there's a moment of invitation and he gives his presence. And we respond with so little perfume poured out. So little love given back. He's worthy. I was challenged with that this morning. I wanted to read you this. Is it okay? I'm not mad or anything like that. You can feel it's passion, right? I'm not angry. Six days before, I'm John 12, but you don't have to read this. Listen. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was. And you must remember, this guy was dead just now. <laughs> it wasn't long that he was, he was in the tomb not long ago. Whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave dinner for him there. And this was probably in Martha's house. Jesus always had dinner in Martha's house. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. And then little old Mary comes on the scene. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment. You know what's beautiful about Mary? Every time you read about Mary in the Bible, she's at the feet of Jesus. You never read about her not being there. Every single time you read about Mary, the sister of Martha. Even when Jesus got to the tomb, Martha engaged him. And the first thing he said after Martha engaged him is, where's Mary? And they went to call Mary and said, the master is here. What did she do when she came to him? She fell at his feet. And after Mary spoke, Jesus wept. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with the hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. Have you ever worshipped in such a way that the house was filled with your perfume? Filled with your perfume. That everyone else was touched by him because of the way you extravagantly lavished your love on Jesus. And here's where I want to go to. But Judas, <laughs> one of his disciples said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Just to give you kind of an idea what Mary poured over the feet of Jesus. A denarii was one day's wages. He gave him a year's wages. This nod, this oil of perfume was probably the gift her parents gave her for her wedding day. She broke the jar of nard, poured it out. And listen to this. In one of the most beautiful pictures of worship recorded in the Bible. 
one of those who walked with Jesus judged her worship with this question, why the waste? Why the waste? And this morning when we were standing worshiping, I could hear Judas in our congregation. Why do you take so long? Why do you sing so long? Why are you singing that song again? Why this waste? It's incredible how the extravagant worship of one offended someone that lived with Jesus for three years. Because Jesus is now days away from the crucifixion. The crucifixion is now not a year, it's now days. Mary's perfume will be still on him when they crucify him. Instead of Lazarus, who still smells like his grave, instead of him falling at those feet with Mary, and Judas is left with him falling at it, why this waste? And this is what I wanted to say with this. You need to silence the voice of Judas in your mind and in your heart this congregation because Judas is not the friend of the lover he's the enemy he's calculating while Mary is being extravagant he's weighing the moment while Mary is just giving it all away and if you don't silence Judas this is what happens in our time of worship you sit there, and that little voice comes up in your spirit. How long? Again. When is he landing his preach? Are we singing that chorus again? That's Judas. When he's inviting you to be Mary. You know what Jesus did with the voice of Judas? He rebuked him. He didn't sit Judas down and say, Judas, there's some truth in what you're saying. Let's talk about this. We could have sold this perfume. Man, I wish Mary only poured half of it and the other half we sold and we could look after the poor. You have a great voice of reason, Judas. He rebuked him. He said, you make no sense. You will always have the poor with me, with you. But I'm going. I'm leaving Judas. So the first thing I wanted to say, and I'm coming almost to the end of what I wanted to share. Why the waste? It's the voice of the enemy. <laughs> and if you ever hear Judas, rebuke him. If you hear Judas speaking to your mind, rebuke him. And then what do you do after rebuking him? You become more extravagant with the perfume in your hand. You become more extravagant with the love in your heart. This morning we worshiped for two hours. And when they closed the meeting, I was like, Jesus, I'm only beginning. I don't want to leave. Now I'm coming to the heart of what I wanted to share. Is that okay if I share that with you? 
Silence Judas. Silence Judas. That could be weird if people aren't in this context, right? So why don't you speak about our church? You need to silence Judas, buddy. I want to tell you a story in, in, in that some of you have heard me share, but it's touched my heart. It's a story that takes place 1727. And it's about a couple of Protestants that's been persecuted by the Catholic Church and they need to flee Moravia and they find themselves fleeing into Germany and they settled on the land of a man by the name of Count Zinzendorf. They established a little community there. 1727. Protestants. Not long after their settlement, like people most of the time, they started arguing amongst themselves and quarreling and debates and arguments and fights. And it seems as though unity was really fractured and broken. And this owner of the land, Count Zinzendorf, saw that the Protestants were now dividing amongst themselves. And so he he prayed and he he fasted and he said, Lord, there must be more purpose to you bringing them here than pour out your spirit amongst them and help them, God, speak to me, do something, you know. And uh, the Lord spoke to him actually out of the book of Leviticus where the Lord said to him, and the fire shall never go out on the altar. It will burn continuously. And you'll see why that makes sense in a moment. Not long after him crying out and fasting in prayer, the Lord actually poured himself supernaturally into that community of Protestants in Hernut. And it's said, it's documented that a supernatural love of God filled their hearts for Jesus. Supernatural, they called it a supernatural hunger for the Word, and they said a supernatural love for one another. And this community, coming from that outpouring of the Spirit and God moving, started a prayer time that lasted 125 years, nonstop. They became a community, and and, and they... they, each one had its time bracket, and they prayed for 125 years without stopping. Can you imagine Protestants fleeing the Catholic Church, persecuting them, coming to Germany, Spirit poured out, starting a prayer meeting as the Spirit of God is poured out, and in that prayer meeting had its last amen 125 years later. Isn't that insane? But that's not the beauty of the story. The beauty of the story is that that these Protestants, filled with the Spirit, praying day and night, found Jesus to be so worthy. They loved Him to such an extent that from them they gave birth to a missions movement that influenced most probably all missions movements the earth has ever seen. And so this takes us to a story of two men by the name of Nitschman and Dober. One in his early 30s, one in his late 20s. 
This is now five years after the Spirit was poured out in her night. They've been praying day and night. And these two men heard of African slaves on the island of St. Thomas crying for someone to teach them the gospel of Jesus. Because they were they weren't allowed into the church. So they stood far enough to get something of the gospel, but they couldn't get close enough to hear the gospel. And word came to the Moravians in Hernut in Germany about these slaves hungry for the Lord, but there's no one that could preach the gospel to them. And here's the catch. The only way they could preach the gospel to them was to sell themselves as slaves. They couldn't go and work on the island of St. Thomas. They had to live amongst the African slaves in St. Thomas to bring the gospel. And so what Nitschman and Dober did, they sold themselves as slaves to St. Thomas Island to go preach Jesus to the slaves there. Knowing that as they sold themselves as slaves into, into that island, that they will never return. They'll never come back. It said of them they packed all their belongings in a coffin because they knew they were going to die with our game. And here's the beautiful thing. Listen to this. And this little story influenced so many missionaries around the world. And I hope you catch what I'm saying because this is the epicenter, the heart of worship. And so it said of them as they stood on the boat, departing, leaving. All their family and friends were gathered on the docks. The whole Hernut community saying goodbye to the first two missionaries to leave them. And as the ship pulled away, Dober and Nitschman went to the furthest end of the, of the boat, the closest to, to the relatives. And for the last time, seeing the faces of mom and dad friend, sister, brother, knowing they'll never see them again. It's said that they lifted their fists in the air and they said, may the lamb receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb receive the reward of his suffering. question that I'm presenting tonight is how worthy must they have found him to be that they did not love their own lives even unto death how worthy do you find Jesus because the extravagance and the devotion, the extravagance of your devotion and your worship and your praise and your obedience is in direct correlation with your revelation of His worth. The issue is not whether you know the seven Hebrew words of praise. The issue is, is He worthy? 
That's the issue. And your response will reveal how much of a revelation of the worth of Jesus you have in your life. And that prayer should become your companion throughout all your life. Reveal your worthiness to me. How worthy are you, Jesus? You know, right now, right now, in this very moment, shouts of worth are thundering before the throne of grace. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. And it's the wounds in His hands and His feet and the wound on His side that's been in that's been keeping the flame of worship in the, I want to say the eternities and eternities, been keeping the flame of worship alive. He is worthy. And if you and I want to go on a journey of discovering the beauty of worship, it starts with us beholding the Lamb that was slain. How can you look at that man and not dance with joy? How can you look at that man and not be undone and overwhelmed and on your face? How can you not look at that man with, and not lift your hands and sing aloud, I love you? You know, we were in Brazil a couple of years ago and Mike Davies was teaching and it was over Easter. And he was teaching that there will come a day where we all are in the new Jerusalem, standing face to face with God. And you and I and everyone in this room would be brand new. We would be, Bible say in that day, without spot or without wrinkle. But amongst us, there will be one who still has wounds. Wounds in his hands. Wounds in his feet. It would be a reminder of the humility and the love of God. And you and I being perfected in that day will look upon the lamb that was slain. And he will inspire our adoration for eternity and eternity. Worship is about giving your life away, not finding it. Jesus said, if, you, if you're looking for your, for your own life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my name's sake, you'll find it. Worship is about death. I want to read you something. I'm, I'm, I'm going to close. And Are you guys still okay? Are you with me? I'm not too. I'm not too quiet, huh? I'm. I'm really just passionate. I'm not. I'm not. As I was contemplating um, the story of Judas and Mary, I heard the Holy Spirit asking me that when you look at Mary at the feet of Jesus with. The broken jar of nard, the oil poured over him. 
And you look at Jesus, Judas standing at a distance, asking the question, why the way? Lord said, if you look at them, answer this question. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Where do you think was Mary's treasure? And where do you think was Judas' treasure? I want to read you something and close with this. I want to read you Revelation 5, and I want you to read with me and Michael, if you can get onto that guitar, buddy, we're going to go to worthy of it all. And isn't Michael a gift, huh? I love Michael. Um, I'm, every day I'm thankful for the Lord for him in my life. I'm learning how to love Jesus because of Michael. I want to read to you Revelation 5. But you need to see something. Revelation 5 is not something John saw 2,000 years ago. Revelation 5 is what's happening right now while we are gathered in this place. Will you read with me as we read about the worth of the Lamb? I want you to see how the heavens respond to Him. How the angels respond to Him. Are you with me? Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Hey, John, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And now John is turning. There is one, the elder said, there is one. John, look at the lion. And John looks and between the throne and the four living creatures and amongst the elders, notice he doesn't see a lion. I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints and they sang a new song saying worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals why is he worthy here for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language 
and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the throne and the living creatures and the elders. The voice of many angels. Numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Saying with a loud voice. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down. And they worshipped. May the Lamb receive the rewards of His suffering. Beloved, here's the question. Is He worthy? That's it. Can we just respond? Whether you want to stand right now or bow, that's the, one of the two choices. <laughs> Standing or bowing. Just let's come before the Lord. And all the earth's angels Soon. 